0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 4 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC4. And this is Secret Church 4, Episode 2. I've got to resist the temptation to preach a variety of sermons tonight. We need to move on. Okay. Do we want the glory of God? Tozer said, and we have to? Have but to want him badly enough, and he will come and manifest himself to us. When we know God, here's what we can expect. When we know God, we know the God we're going to talk about tonight. Four things. Number one, routine religion is no longer tolerable. Routine religion is no longer tolerable when you truly know this God. I give you an illustration. A guy named Charles Misner, scientific specialist and general relative theory who commented on Albert Einstein's life. And I want you to listen to what he said as a commentary on Albert Einstein as it relates to religion. Albert Einstein, obviously a genius, listen to what he said. The design of the universe, Misner said, is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religions, although he strikes me as a very, basically very religious man. He must have looked at what the church said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined, and they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that religions he'd run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. You think about what a scientist knows. A scientist knows that our galaxy, our solar system, is 100,000 light years in diameter, and it contains 100 billion stars. This is just one galaxy among innumerable galaxies that are in the range of our best telescopes, and our galaxy alone with 100 billion stars. The sun is a modest star burning at a mild 6,000 degrees centigrade, traveling at 150 miles a second. And it will take 200 million years for it to complete a revolution around our galaxy. That's one star among 100 billion. Scientists know this. And Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 and 26 says, look at the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. We just sang about it. The God that we worship calls a hundred billion stars in our galaxy alone by name. Bob, (laughs) Mary, Z134957, our God calls the stars by name. How can you have routine religion when this is the God who we follow? This is the God who we revere. This is the God we pray to, the God we worship. And he looked, Einstein Looked at the church and he said, they don't know the real thing. Look at the church of which you're a part, whether it's this church or any other church. Do you know the real thing? I remind you, in light of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, they are not in prison now. They're not giving their lives because of their religion. They're giving their lives not because they love religion. They're giving their lives because they love God. And know God. Routine, religion is no longer tolerable when you know this God. Apathy is nowhere to be found among people who know this God. Second, casual worship is no longer possible. You can't worship this God without affection. You can't worship this God without deep emotion. Now don't miss this. I'm not saying that our emotions are the gauge of our spirituality, nor am I saying that some of them, People might think, well, you're going to get carried away with all your emotionalism. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. If you know God truly, you will love God deeply. How can you know this God and not feel for this God? How can you know this God and when you worship look like you are bored to tears? It doesn't make sense. Casual worship is no longer possible when you know this God. Third, total surrender is no longer optional. Total surrender is no longer optional. When you look at the God of the Bible, the thought of not submitting to him as Lord is blasphemous. When you look at the God of the Bible, you will see the one who has all authority over everything in all the universe, including our lives, and we will realize that every single one of us has sacrificed the right to determine the direction of our lives when you call this God Lord. Total surrender is not an option. Finally, when you know this God, global mission is no longer negotiable. Global mission is no longer negotiable. If what this word says about God is true, then 3,000 animistic tribes in Africa need to know about this God. If what this book says about God is true, then 350 million Buddhists in Japan, Laos, and Vietnam need to know about this God. If what this book says about God is true, then 950 million Hindus in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Maldives need to know about this God. If what this book says about God is true, then over a billion people in China and North Korea come nations who don't believe in God need to know about this God. And if what this book says about God is true, then over 1.3 billion Muslims need to know about this God. If what this book says about God is true and we see that, global mission will not be negotiable in our lives. You cannot know this God and not run to the nations proclaiming that he is God. It makes no sense whatsoever. And so be warned. When you get to know this God, it will make no sense for you not to abandon everything in your life to make this God known among the nations. It will make no sense whatsoever. So if you're not wanting to go there, then you might not want to stick around for the next six hours. Let's get to know God. All right, this is a humbling journey. It's a humbling journey. Psalm 25, he guides the humble in what is right. I love Isaiah 66 too. Great verse. This is the one I esteem, God says. He is humble and contrite in spirit. I want to remind you from the very beginning, we are not investigators doing an examination of God tonight. We are servants bowing at the feet of God tonight. There's a big difference. Humbling journey. Second, it's a personal journey. It's a personal journey. And I want to remind you of this for two reasons. One, I want to remind you that our goal tonight is not to learn knowledge about God. Follow me. Our goal tonight is not to learn knowledge about God. Our goal is to know God. There's a different difference. If all we want to do is learn knowledge about God, then we're, lear, we're seeking knowledge for knowledge's sake. And the takeaway of our time together tonight will be us walking away with more knowledge about God. And we'll actually grow conceited in it because we'll know more than, than other Christians who don't know all that we know about God. We'll miss the point. Instead, this is a personal journey. We want to know God himself like a sheep know their shepherd, John chapter 10. And I share that with you second because the reality is there are two types of people in this room tonight. There are some people who know this God through faith in Christ, who have trusted in this God to save them from their sins through the gospel been reconciled to this God. And there are some people in this room tonight who have not come to that point yet where you know this God by faith. And Christ is the only one who can reconcile you to this God. And I mention that because I'm praying for both of these groups. I'm praying for those of us in this room tonight who do know this God through faith. I'm praying that God would deepen your intimacy with him over the next few hours we have together. And for those of us who are in this group, I'm praying that the end goal of tonight for you would not be to walk away knowing more about what the Bible says about God. I'm praying that you would walk away tonight and for the first time, you would not know facts about God, but you might know God in all of his beauty and his glory. So remind you, this is a personal journey. It's an intellectual journey. We're going to go through a lot of facts, a lot of truths, and to be honest, a lot of heady stuff. This is a, it's a mouthful tonight, but it's also a mindful. It is, it's heavy. And I want you to realize that some of the, the truths, things we're going to talk about, issues we're going to talk about, there's actually even debate over some of these things among Evangelical Bible-believing Christian scholars. There's just differences of opinion on on different things. Not about things that are core to the foundations of of what Christianity is, but definitely different opinions. And I need you to know from the very beginning of our time together tonight that that I have holes in my theology. You need to know this. There are some areas of my theology that are wrong. The only problem is I, I don't know which ones they are. And, and so uh, you just need to realize that tonight, okay? I want to be up front and honest with you. Uh, uh, we, we all have, including myself, finite minds, and we're contemplating an infinite God. And I believe the Bible reveals some very core, non-negotiable things at the same time. There are some things that are certainly open to discussion, even among Bible-believing, Christ-trusting followers of Him. And so uh, just kind of keep, keep that in mind. All right, intellectual journey. It's an emotional journey. We've talked about this. When the Bible talks about knowing God, this word, just to know God, it's, it's, it's an interesting study. You go throughout Scripture and you see, especially in the Old Testament, this word knowing is not just a head knowledge. It's talking about an intimacy. All throughout the Old Testament, you see it talking about, well, you see it talking about how husbands know their wives, and that's that's not just knowing their name. If you get my drift, there's something a little deeper there that husbands and wives. Anyway, we won't go there, but. Uh, uh, just want to kind of add something in for those of you who are on a date night tonight, husbands and wives. So anyway, a little romance for uh, uh, our secret church study. And then, and then you, get to, you get to Amos, you get to Hosea, you see God speaking about how he knows his people. And it's translated in rich ways, uh, it's translated, I've, I've chosen you, translated of I've, you, I've cared for you. The beauty of it is this is a, a very emotional picture, knowing God, a practical journey next. What we need to realize is knowledge of God produces obedience. Knowledge of God produces obedience. And obedience to God produces knowledge. They go together. You see 2 Peter 1, John 7, John 8 is another example of this. John 8, 31 through 36. This is like a circular circular relationship between knowledge and obedience. The more you know God, the more you obey God. The more you obey God, the more you know God. They go together. It makes no sense for us to talk about knowing God for six hours tonight and then tomorrow disobey God with our lives. We've disconnected the whole picture obedience and knowledge go together. You say, well, that sounds kind of works-based. No, it's all grace-based. We know God by his grace. We obey God by his grace. It's all undergirded by grace. But if you want to know God, then obey God. And if you want to obey God, then you must know God. They go together. So it's very, very, very practical. Next, it's a thrilling journey. This is what we were created for. This is life. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to know a lot of things to make a big impact in this world. You don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to be the most intellectual person. You don't have to be the most athletic person. You don't have to be the richest person to make a big impact in this world. I'm convinced in order to have a big impact in this world, you need to know one thing. Be willing to live for that one thing and die for that one thing if necessary. And it's Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. I want to know Christ. This is my life. It's what I live for. It's a thrilling journey. What higher, more exalted, more compelling goal is there in this life that we could live for than to know this God? Everything pales in comparison. And it's a deep journey. Here's where we're going to go. We're going to look at the names of God, the attributes of God. We're going to split those up into his greatness and his goodness. And then we're going to close out the evenings, evening with the mysteries of God. And the three mysteries we're going to look at, we're going to look at the Trinity. We're going to look at the sovereign will of God, God's sovereignty. And we're going to look at God and evil. You do the math, that puts us at God and evil around 11.45 in the evening. And so we're going we to attack like the biggest problem in Christianity, it's Christian theology at about 11.45. And I just want to put that bait out there because we're going to solve it tonight. So if you stick around, you stick around you'll actually have it, have it solved so you won't want to leave early. Okay, we're moving on. All right, here we go. The names of God, then the attributes of God, then the mysteries of God. The names of God. God starts the Ten Commandments talking about his name. You've got Exodus 20 verse 4 mentioned there. Exodus 20 verse 1 and 2, he starts, he says, I am the Lord your God. Then he says, don't have any other gods before me. He gives us this verse, don't make any idols. Then he says, you will not misname, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold, not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And the picture is God is very serious about his name. It says in Psalm 113, My name will be praised from the rising to the setting of the sun. It's a great verse. It's quoted again in Malachi chapter 1 when he's rebuking the priests who had, who had defiled his name. And he basically says to them, even if you defile my name, I want to remind you, my name will still be praised from the rising to the setting of the sun. God is very serious about his name. Why is he so zealous about his name? Well, I think for a number of reasons. Number one, the names of God provide revelation of God. What we need to realize, when we talk about some of these names of God, these are not names that we have made up. They're names that God has revealed himself to us as. They're gifts from God to us. They're his revelation to us. When Moses went to God and said, who do I tell them? Well, he says he's about to go to the Israelites in order to lead them out of Egypt. He says, who do I tell them sent me? And he says, God says, tell them I am sent, sent you. This is the picture. This is my name. When in Exodus chapter 33, Moses prays, show me your glory. And the Lord responds. Listen to what the Lord responds. No, Moses prays, I want to see your glory, God. Moses says, I will calls all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. So Moses said, show me your glory. God says, I'll show you my name. God is equating here his name with his glory. So this is how God reveals himself to us in Exodus chapter 34 is when that happens. And he starts off, the glory of the Lord passes by, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. The names of God give us revelation from God. Second, the names of God lead to adoration of God. God's name is his self-revelation that elicits praise among his people. And when we sing praises to God, we praise his name. Psalm chapter 8, how majestic, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The picture is when we understand the names of God, it will fuel our praise to God because when we praise God, we praise his name. This is foundational for our worship. Next, the names of God provide refuge and protection in God. I love Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Isn't that a great verse? The more you understand the name of God, the more you will find a shield and refuge and strength and protection. And when life is not going like it was supposed to and the storm clouds are surrounding you, you find protection in what? You find protection in his name. The names of God next symbolize the location of God's glory among his people. When God talks about the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, he talks about the place that will, that will bear his name. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 12. You are to seek the place, the Lord your God will choose from, among you from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. 1 Kings chapter 9, the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. So God, God's name shows his identification with or his, this location of where his glory dwells. Again, we're seeing his name and his glory going together. Now here's the beauty, why we need to see that in the Old Testament, because when you get to the New Testament, You don't have a tabernacle or a temple. Instead, what's the temple? The temple of the Spirit of God, the place where God dwells, is our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which leads to this next truth. The names of God demonstrate our identification with God. You are the temple. You are the place. Let this soak in. You are the place where the name of God dwells. What an amazing thought. We bear his name. Your life bears the name of almighty God. Let that soak in. This causes great humility. When we're baptized, we're baptized into his what? We're baptized into his name, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Identification with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're identifying with God. Ladies and gentlemen, we bear the name of God, which is why in Ezekiel chapter 36 he says, I'm going to show the holiness of my great name through you. God shows his name off to the world through our lives. This is huge. We bear his name. We are baptized into his name. You get to... Well, you got it here in Psalm 54, and then you get to the book of Acts. The name of God is power for our salvation. Save me, O God, by your name. Salvation is found in no one else, no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. We're saved. It's the power of God for salvation, but not just the power of God for our salvation. The name of God is authority for our mission. Authority for our mission. I want to show you this. Look with me. You turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You got to see this. This is worth taking the time to just come aside for a second. Acts chapter 2, we'll look at verse 38. What's going on here is when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost and Peter stands up and he preaches the first Christian sermon. And he's, he's preaching. He gets to the end and everyone's convicted and they say, brothers, what shall we do? And this is how he responds. Listen to verse 38. Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? They're asking Peter. Okay, we, we're sinners. We need Christ. What do we do? Peter replied, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the what? In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now I want to show you how this is a theme that dominates, especially the next few chapters, but all throughout the book of Acts. Go over to chapter 3. Peter and John go up to the temple. They see a crippled man from birth who's sitting there. He's never walked. Listen to what they say to him. Verse 6, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the what? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In the name of Christ, this man stands up, starts jumping up and down, praising God by the name of Jesus Christ. They start getting questioned about what had happened. Skip down with me to chapter 3, verse 16. It says, they're explaining what had happened. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Why was he healed? Because of the name. They're making it very clear because of his name. Get to chapter 4. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 7. Sanhedrin brings in Peter and John, want to question them. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. They said, by what power or what name did you do this? They start sharing with them, verse 10, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified. Verse 12 is where we see what we just saw just a second ago. Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Go down to the end of verse 17. The Sanhedrin catches on, they say, to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They're afraid of the name. Verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. All throughout, you get to the end, Acts chapter 4, you get to verse 30, it says they're praying now, it says stretch out your hands to heal, and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy holy servant, Jesus. Don't miss the picture. The name of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And all of these things are happening. It's attributed to the name. And I want to remind you of this. I want to show you this. And it goes on throughout the rest of the book of Acts when demons are cast out by the name of Jesus. And when... When people are risking their lives for the name of Jesus, I want to remind you that 2,000 years ago there was a name that when it was proclaimed caused the lame to walk. And when it was proclaimed it caused the blind to see. And when it was proclaimed it caused countless multitudes to come to faith in Christ. When it was proclaimed people were risking their life for it. When the name of Jesus was proclaimed 2,000 years ago amazing things were happening. And I want to remind you the name is still good today. It's still good today. The question is not, is the name still good? The question is, do the people of God have confidence in his name? His name has not changed. Do we have confidence in the name of Christ? Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.